Hi, I'm Joe Shelton. I'm a singer, songwriter, and music producer, as well as a software engineer, and most of all, a father with a daughter who recently moved to Scotland. And I'm Bailey, a magazine editor, graphic designer, and illustrator. This podcast is our weekly catch-up. We wanted to share it with you and let you be a part of our family rabble. So, Bailey, you're like right on time. Did you hear my question? What was your question? you mind if I eat my sandwich during this? I mean, you know, it can be a lunch and learn, I guess. Well, thank goodness for that. Let's Everyone just... feel free to eat while we're talking. I wish you could. Huh? Rolling off of it. It looks like a grilled cheese, but on non-bread. It is similar to that. There is chicken. So, I just accidentally poured some of the chicken on my laptop. It's a grilled chicken sandwich on non bread with a lot of cheese. Yeah. Okay. Chicken tikka. Okay. That's a different name. Mm-hmm. Probably more appropriate than my <laughs> exceptionally Americanized thing. So yeah. you're in Scotland and you're having some sort of Indian food? So the neighborhood in which I live is um, very diverse. Okay. Uh, in that it was a haven for um, Jewish people escaping Nazi Germany um, when that was a thing that people were actively fleeing um, during World War II. And um, a lot of that made this a predominantly Jewish community. Um, and then on top of that, there are a few mosques in the area. So there's a lot of um, Muslims and like Middle Eastern people in the area. And so there's a lot of Middle Eastern restaurants in the area. Ah, so not Indian, but Middle Eastern. Okay. Yeah. So this is from a place called the Old Bank that has like, it's predominantly like a bistro slash deli kind of thing, but it's run by a bunch of Muslim people. So, yeah. They had like a charity bucket for a few Muslim charities and stuff like that. So it's cool. And it's good. It's good food. It's got like, um, it's got like cumin and turmeric and spice in it. And then it's also got um, cucumber in there, which is kind of a little refreshing crunch. So a whole lot of stuff I wouldn't want to eat because I'm not a fan of turmeric or cucumbers. I know this about you. Yeah. But at least nothing I'm allergic to is in it, which is good. True. It's <laughs> a low is, bar, you know? I mean, you know, <laughs> the non looks really tasty. Um, I figured out it's, it's really funny. I feel like with every generation of your side of the family, we become more open to new food flavors. Well, I would hope so. I mean, my parents' generation was not very open to... Yeah, homie wouldn't eat rice, so... My <laughs> mom will eat rice. Well, yeah. My dad would eat, yeah. Um, <laughs> my dad was not a rice person. Which he is said he looked like maggots. Yes, that's exactly what he said. And, and <laughs> growing, up, growing up, after you see a few maggots, you say, oh, it kind of does. And then it makes you like have second thoughts as you're, you know, a child looking at a bowl of rice um, until you get to be older and go, 
you know what? I'm going to try this with some other stuff because it doesn't seem like something that would be all that like offensive. And you know what? Rice isn't. It generally is. <laughs> just, I, just a grain. Yeah. Plain rice is pretty plain. Honestly, there's nothing to yeah. it. Like uh, there's nothing to hate there. Um, it's, uh, I mean, honestly, just plain white rice. There's nothing to, to hate or like about it. It's just there unless you, you know, actually do something to it. I'm trying to think of like a food that I categorically will not do. And I feel like my default is I hate strawberry milk. Really? That would be your thing that you will not do? Have you had? Yeah, if um, someone handed me a glass of strawberry milk, I'd be like, no, thank you. That's gross. So, so like growing up with my dad, like some of the tastes you may not have gotten from me because they're things I had removed from my like psyche. Yeah. But one of those things is um, uh, fried okra. Hmm. Okay. okay. Because like, I don't like it. The smell of it's horrible when it's cooking. And like, and then the other thing is turnip greens, which, you know, I can eat, but I will not because they smell horrible. Uh, now, and they taste bad too. But my, my dad was a big turnip greens and fried okra guy. <laughs> fried okra before not not because of family but i do like fried okra on the days that they would cook that uh the the it would be a i'd just keep the door closed to the room and hopefully the smell wouldn't waft in you know you're really good big on smell with food though Mm -hmm. because you don't you also feel that way about like most curries oh yeah because they got turmeric in them yeah and you don't like how turmeric smells yeah when it's cooked yep yeah, I, I imagine I, I, it only gets worse because, like, the way most curries are is like the milk base, and then you put turmeric in it. So it's got like a milky, and then it's got the turmeric smell. Yeah, that smell for some reason it's like um, it, it, it like attacks my senses, and I can't eat it. Yeah, uh, smell is definitely the thing that takes me out. Like that's that's why I don't like cucumbers. Oh, because they have a smell. Yeah, the smell gets up into my nose. And I can't, it won't go away. So huh. okay. well, I don't like pickles and cucumbers because they're, they have that smell and that smells yeah. really sensitive to me. It's sort of like, uh, I don't like coffee cause it's really bitter and that the bitter flavor, like just sticks uh, in. Yeah. It, yeah. It won't go away. Like well, smell of, up, the smell of coffee. I love actually like, you know, like, you know, somebody's brewing coffee or like just smelling the actual, you know, coffee grinds or whatever. <laughs> smells great. You know, what's, <laughs> it's really weird. Um, but from wa- working in a coffee shop, like I, I went from not liking or drinking coffee at all. And to like, I do like coffee now, but now we're getting into kind of like the <laughs> Lorelai Gilmore level of knowing coffee because. I can like this latte. I just took a sip of it and I was like, that kind of tastes bad. <laughs> like their beans kind of suck. <laughs> See? Um, yeah, you're, you've become one of them. Yeah, you're, disgusting. But so whatever. What else besides, uh, you know, some culturally diverse food has happened to you this week in Scotland? I know that next week you're flying home. We, uh, or in we a couple days. So much yesterday that we went to, there's this park that's, literally 10 minutes down the road and we rode a we rode a bus there 
um, because there are two parks that are, they're like almost kissing. Like they're just right beside each other. One is humongous and the other is like pretty sizable. So we went to the sizable one that's further away and they have this big old historic building called house for an art lover. Um, and it has like a really cool sculpture garden around it. So we went to that and then walked through the park. There's a thing in that park where they have, they have a ski like slopes in the park, but the slopes aren't, um, like that you don't have to wait for it to snow. They're, they're snowless ski slopes so that you can learn year round. And it's like basically bristly plasticky fibers covered in wax. So apparently the resistance of these like fiber, this fibrous net um, is similar to snow, snow, but it's a little bit harder to ski on. So like the guy who worked there was telling us that um, it's supposed to be a little bit harder. So you learn to ski on those, like the waxy net. And then once you actually go on to like snow, it's way easier and you're, you have more control. But does it look like snow? No, it doesn't. It, it's white. But other than that, it looks almost like, um, <laughs> you know, I'm those white like. nets that people put around fruit sometimes to like, like the foam nets around fruit. It looked like that, but on a slope. Huh. So did you take a picture? I did take a picture, but well, we'll find that we we'll post that on your Twitter or something. I want to see it. Okay. I will. Um, yeah. So uh, that was cool. We saw that yesterday. And then we walked from that park to a different park, Pollock Park. Um, they have a golf course. I don't know if that appeals to you at all. Interesting. Did you, fact. Did you check out the golf course? Did you use? You did not. Sydney was with me, and I felt that maybe she wouldn't want to get dragged along for nine holes. So, um, but I did take pictures of Her it. Dad would. I mean, he made a mental him. note. Well, next time you and I walk around for five hours straight, I will remember that you want to take. No, <laughs> you want not, to go. not not me. Uh, I said Sydney's dad would. Oh, Sydney's dad. Yeah. Yeah. Phil would love. Phil would he, loves, he loves to play golf. Too. So yeah, so there's a golf course there. There was a rugby match going on in that park. So. this is just a testament to the size in one tiny little corner of this park. There is a nine hole course. I think it's nine holes. It might be 18. And then right across from the golf course is a like a double rugby pitch that was having a game, like a tournament going on while we were there. So we walked past that. They have like this mountain bike trail through the woods and we came up on this placard. This is this is interesting to me. Um, we came across this pa- placard that was talking about like there's an ancient site in the park in the woods. And I was standing on it and I was like, oh, it kind of looks like the mounds in Anderson. Like it was this raised piece of land, and then there was like a, a ditch and then a like second mound on the outside as a ring. Um, and then at the far end of it, it dipped off into like this valleyed out area that was filled with these giant, like ancient trees. Right. And so Sid read the placard and was talking about like, oh, it's Iron Age. And then we were standing there and Sid was like giving me the synopsis. And she said, so the trees in the valley um, were actually cleared when they originally moved here. 
so that the land below it could be used as farmland. And then these Iron Age people used the wood as lumber for ships or housing or whatever. Um, and then they built this hill up as a stronghold in the center of this little like community of families. And I said, okay, so like all of those trees grew back. Like they're like the biggest fucking trees I've ever seen. Like they're just towering, huge, like too, too big to put your arms around trees. And there's hundreds of them, thousands of them. And I was like, so all of those giant trees are younger than the hill we're standing on. And Sid went, yeah, about a thousand years younger, more even. <laughs> like, like, like those trees are maybe a thousand years old tops. The hill we're standing on was built in the Iron Age. <laughs> and I was like, oh, fuck and they were like you know she was talking about it and she was like yeah that's why our earthworks are so incredible it's like this entire hill was made by hand like they hand carved the hill we're standing on a lot of people did yes yeah like the entire probably probably people who didn't have their own free will yeah well so we were talking about that and i was like and that is probably the most terrifying. Like I was looking at the ground beneath my feet and I was thinking about the hands that carved it. And I was like, and that is probably the most terrifying thing someone's told me today. Like, <laughs> <laughs> It's like, no wonder you're fascinated with Eldritch Horror. Your novel concept makes so much more sense given this context. And God, I wish I were not standing here anymore. Let's go back to the concrete path that they poured 20 years ago instead. Um, <laughs> It's like I feel like something, some demon from the deep, is going to crawl out of this rock and get me. Like Ugh. it's not. Let me just. No, I know. But, I, saw this, so, I, I was thinking of this thing. Uh, you know, you talk about all that time things. Nothing's going to creep out after you. Um, I, I, there was a, a thing that I saw. I don't know a couple of days ago, and it, it reminded me of this thing that Stephen Hawking did back like ten years ago or so, where he invited uh, all the time travelers to a party. And no one showed up and he invited everyone the day after he had the party. And he said that it proved that time travel didn't exist yet <laughs> because no one came to the party and he invited them the next day. Right. Yeah. So there was a, you know, um, the, you know, no one can time travel at least 10 years ago. They couldn't. And I'm sure that beasties aren't going to reach up from the dead and grab you either. Yeah. So, so there's been no proof of that so far, you know, yeah. I guess the, 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 they're, they're, you know, they could be hiding it from you, the government or something. No, it's uh, more but, like, it's less like, Oh, there's a beast in these woods. And it's more like, Hmm. Like I could totally understand that if this hill is large, that there might be things like I was saying that Stephen King, this is one of the few things I like, uh, I find markably fantastic about his writing is he has a very specifically good way of describing that, like the, the like terrifying prospect of something being inconceivably old, right. When he's talking about it specifically, he talks about that. And the thing that stuck with me was when he was describing the kids climbing like deeper and deeper below the city and through the tunnels that he describes the smell as like 
you smell something that is so it is older than time. Like you're smelling something that's older than rot. Like, like, and that I was like, what's older than rot? And I was like, like that, like, <laughs> fuck. Like, I was like, I don't want to know that. <laughs> like, like, like what the, like, like, of course it can survive. Cause if it like existed before rot, like I'm smelling something like terrifyingly old. Right. So sure. Yeah. Like, yeah. So that like, that's what I was thinking of is like, I was looking at the hill and I was like older than rot. Like, <laughs> like Oh God. Yeah, I always say older than dirt, but like whatever yeah. demons they were afraid of, like we should probably be afraid too. <laughs> so, <laughs> but that said we did that. We, we walked further along and that park just so happens it's again, massive. So they also have several fields that have um, free roaming Scottish cattle. So like the the big shaggy woolly cows, they have a few, like a herd of those cows there um, that are wandering in the fields like year round, I think. Um, And then they also have this world-class art museum called the Burl Collection, um, which like the original collection was donated by a family of the same name. They lived in, I believe, in the area, if not that exact footprint where the museum is, um, in the early 1900s, and donated when the when this guy died, he donated his art collection to the people of Glasgow. And the thing about it is, it's an insane collection. It's it's truly just very expansive. It's like. Ah, yes, we've seen older than rot, and now we have richer than God. <laughs> like, Spark <laughs> has it all. Um, and so it was like you were walking through the cases of paraphernalia, and it's like, oh, the German longsword from 1500 that's in nearly perfect condition is in a side case in a, in a weird room that's kind of hard to find. Uh, but then you'll walk three feet and you're looking at a tapestry that was woven by 200 men in like ancient Egypt. And you're like, Oh, okay. Um, it also had like a very extensive Roman empire collection of like bits and baubles. It was like, Oh, am I looking at something that was pulled out of the ashes of Pompeii? Like maybe. Um, and I was wandering through and I was like, old, crazy old, historical, insane, like obviously stolen from another culture. And then you walk into this tiny little room in the middle and it's like barely lit. It's not anything to really scream at. And then you like look a little closer and you're like, it's a fucking day guy. <laughs> is that, is that a Saison? <laughs> like you put that in the corner? Like, and we just throw the impressionist over there. I don't know. <laughs> so, it was a really cool museum. Are you questioning the curator's choices, Bailey? No, I'm not saying that. I'm just saying it's really funny to see a collection that like, <laughs> is so extensive and impressive that like something of equivalent value would be a set like the Degas and the Cezanne are like centerpiece pieces in some museums but here they're like yeah I mean we have that over the corner over there if you really you need to get your fill I guess <laughs> yeah <laughs> so. an embarrassment of riches yeah I see well I didn't do any museum things this week. Okay. Um, at all, really. I, 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 When's the uh, last time you went to a museum? 
Ooh, that's a tough one. Yeah. Probably uh, 2018, I think. Was that when we did the road trip? Yes. Are you saying that the last museum you can remember being in is the Roswell, New Mexico Alien Museum? No, the Country Music Hall of Fame Museum. Oh, okay. That's the one we were in. Well, still. It was the (laughs) same trip. Uh That's a good museum, too. I like that museum a lot. That museum's amazing. Yeah. They have the Smokey and the Bandit car from Smokey and the Bandit in there. Smokey and the Bandit, too. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, mean, you know this. I wanted to take it with me. Like, that was... That was my you know, favorite artifact. You're talking yeah. about Degas and Chazan. I am talking about Pontiac Trans Am, you know, 1980 edition. Yeah. Um, <laughs> my favorite from that museum is by far the Silver Dollar Cadillac, <laughs> which is ironic because you know me. Oh, I, with the guns guns. On it? I don't yeah. want to be like, I, like the idea of being in a room with a gun really like grosses me out. But there is something like, eight pistols on that car yeah the door handles and the hood (laughs) ornament yeah he has a he has a hood ornament pistol and i'm like fuck yeah absolutely that goes hard but (laughs) (laughs) like it's the only time i've ever seen a gun and i'm like fuck yeah (laughs) absolutely so yeah i mean um I i i i was much more intrigued with other things like you know the smoky the bandit car you know the guitars from you know jerry reed and you know uh yeah <laughs> I mean, you're right i'm uncultured i was like a taylor swift guitar in that museum too huh the they had like Jimi hendrix's couch right yeah and they, had a, they had a john lennon guitar as well well i just i loved that the pieces that they have of Jimi hendrix very much like spoke to like his like writing process like he they had a couch and then they had like a picture of Jimmy like sitting weird on it, playing his guitar, and you were just thinking like, "Oh, yeah, that's really I, how it happens, huh?" Like, yeah, it, it, it's interesting to me, like, because some of the, um, you know, when they did have uh, non uh, that you know weren't strictly country people, they were people that had you know really roots in that kind of music in that, yeah. in that section, you know. Um, well, we also did the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame too. Yeah, but that was a couple of years earlier. Yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah, that one, you know, but the more exciting museum on that trip was definitely the one in Roswell. You know, the inner, the inner, you know, what was the intergalactic? <laughs> I don't remember the name of it. Museum. There's only one, you know. <laughs> and uh, my, my, my favorite part of it is that we were, we were much like the Gilmore girls at the, uh, um, then breakfast at the you know or somewhere else uh you know where they're like uh, or at the at the the, what, the we're going to talk about it a little bit the brace bridge dinner or whatever and we were like we're standing off to the side and there's these people that are really really serious about the aliens and their and the alien show that's going on which is completely animatronic and fake and we're like <laughs> we have so many comments <laughs> yeah I remember you walked up at one point and, like, and you were like, those people over there really think this is real. <laughs> I also, I, one of my favorite joke structures is to say, did you know, and then say something dead serious, but what I'm saying is ridiculous. <laughs> and I, I think that like, 
what I said to you was like, yeah, I mean, the FBI, they never like <laughs> declassified all of those inf- that information. <laughs> I mean, the plastic alien that's over here dancing is definitely not real. I what I also loved from that is like there is some of that that I like didn't really necessarily have context for just based on time period. Sometimes you hear a story and you just like you forget that things were different when it happened. And uh-huh. the the thing I remember specifically about Roswell, like Roswell's the Roswell incident. The thing I remember specifically about the Roswell incident is that where it happened in relation to like another human fucking being is insane. <laughs> like, like truly the middle of fucking nowhere. Like, like, like it was like a farmer found a weird thing well, in the, the middle thing is of his a farmer? acres and acres Nobody of Nobody farming out there. We, we were out there. There's nothing you could farm. What were they farming? Yeah. Tumbleweeds and rocks? Cause there's yeah. no water. Like yeah, he was walking his land and he found it in the middle of this like open area. Desert. He was like, yeah. this is weird. And it is. Um, and then he was like, well, let me go back to the house. And he was like, this is weird, right? Phone somebody about it. It's like, kind of weird. And the then it was like, shows up. And then I had to get in my horse and buggy, basically. And or like it was like the one of the original cars or whatever like a Ford he's like all right I'm gonna spend the afternoon driving to town for this like because I live far enough away from civilization that it's a day's journey to properly report this thing I found in the middle of my field so it's just like calling it a field as if it wasn't just the rockiest barren desert it's I like where they the pictures. If you haven't seen the pictures, it looks like it looks like a Salvador Dali painting. Like, <laughs> it looks like the surface of Mars. Like, like if someone, movie. if they someone actually filmed, I think some Mars movies out there. I'm gonna put it out there. <laughs> if it were me walking in that field, like you know, I grew up in fields all my life, basically. But if I were walking around and I stumbled upon that, someone would be like, "Isn't that weird?" And I'd be like, "I mean, yeah, but like." I couldn't really verify for you that it shouldn't be here. And I mean, whatever. Weird for me was that rest stop on the way out of Roswell to on the way to Texas, where it was like, you know, we had driven like 80 miles and it said rest stop and it was a two lane road. And the rest stop was like, they're, like they only have rest stops on interstates generally, but this was just a two lane road with a rest stop because, you know, someone might need water. And <laughs> there was just like, a little building and a water fountain. Like, oh. <laughs> what I liked is, uh, <laughs> like, there must have been a natural spring under that place or something to get water out there. I mean, it because was honestly was no hilarious. And it's honestly one of the funniest things about that road trip was I remember you specifically going, Bailey, that's a lot of driving, and I know you'll fall asleep. <laughs> it's like, I can't guarantee you that I won't. <laughs> In fact, <sighs> I think it's better for both of us if we just go in assuming I'm going to sleep through a lot of it. And I remember I like woke up from the car rest that I was taking and I was like half awake 
And I looked out the window. It was just an expanse of <laughs> desert. And then I looked at you. And then I like peeked over to the odometer, and it said like one fifteen or something. And I'm like, oh. And then I went back to sleep. <laughs> well, the, the I was uh, I remember the gas station before we left civilization for the desert, and I said, Bailey, I need you to go in and buy two cases of bottled water. And you were like, Why? I'm like, We're getting ready to drive into the desert. Oh, oh, okay. <laughs> Fair. And you're like, and I'm a big boy, so one of those is just for me. <laughs> I get a feeling that if we have a pro- car problem, we might need this two cases of bottled water. So, well, I feel like you're going to panic your way through at least the first quarter of a case. <laughs> I was going to drink a lot of water anyway, regardless, but. Yeah. Because it was dry out there. Yeah. I think, honestly, it's like, I don't know that I necessarily outwardly questioned question so much as, because I don't know that I would ever be like, well, why do you want water, Dad? Because I've seen you drink gallons of water. <laughs> um, but I do think I just definitely had a moment where I was like, oh, because we're driving through the desert? Uh-huh. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yes, what the heck's the matter with you? Of course. Yeah. The so I generally just stockpile cases of water in the back of the, the vehicle? No. But on this case, I think it's a good idea. I think I also remember like on the way out, we were, I, I wanted to stop. I was like, I kind of want to see one of these silly little Route 66 towns. Like, I don't know any of them or whatever, but I think it was like, oh, remember that ghost town or something? We found that ghost town. Remember? I, I think that was in Oklahoma. Yeah, it was like between Oklahoma and Texas. We got off on old Route 66 and it ended into like a just sand at this yeah. point. <laughs> well, what I, I what I loved is we got off and there was like this cool abandoned building. I was like, oh, can I go in there and like take pictures? You were I'm like, like you no, know? <laughs> you're not getting out of the car here. Are you fucking crazy? <laughs> Have you not watched Criminal Minds ever? Like, yeah. this is exactly the place where this stuff happens. You're like, there's like not oh, one. let's get out of the car. Music, so like, <laughs> Let's get out of the car in some abandoned ghost town. That's a good way to, like, lose your head. I mean, yeah. you know. Uh, <laughs> I don't watch a lot of Criminal Minds, I'm going to be honest with you. You, you, don't, you don't need to, because you would never be able to go into the ghost town in the desert. Like, I felt like we were in the opening moments of Criminal Minds, which, you know, Every single episode, somebody's getting axed in the first three minutes of the. Yeah, I think it's like, I remember I needed to use the bathroom, and you were like looking around at all of the like things in this ghost town, and there was like one bar with like five cars parked out in front of it, and I was like, "It's two o'clock on a Thursday." Oh, like, yeah, they're like, like, "What else do they there. have to do, Bailey?" And I was like, "There's four people in there drinking, and a fifth one that's looking to kill one of them because yeah. he's a serial killer. That's why he's out here." <laughs> he just rolled into town too. <laughs> yeah, the one with the plates that aren't from uh, Oklahoma. Be wary of that guy. Yeah. Well, <laughs> one of them moved out there because he's a serial killer, and he just keeps blaming it on the new guy. Yeah. So uh, I didn't do any museums this week, but I did get AJ and I Pacers season tickets, which is a a cool thing. Not the whole season, just a few games. Well, um, <laughs> yeah. Um. Did I ever tell you about the time um, Miles Turner lived in the same building as uh, Emily? No. 
So Emily lived in that big, a friend of mine lived in that big flat iron building in Indianapolis that is in the center of a five-way stop. And one of the directions is Virginia and the other is Fletcher. And it's right outside of Fountain Square. It's a huge apartment complex with like luxury condos in it. Um, and it's also just so happens to be where my friend's father lives. And um, it is the building where the Pacers put their new players while that new player is looking for a place to live. <laughs> right. Looking for a house to buy or an apartment of their own. Yeah. Yeah. So every now and again, <laughs> one of the new players will move into that condo. And I remember one day Emily was sitting at the lunch table and she was like, I don't know what to tell and tell you guys, but um yeah, I was going up to my dad's apartment and, and I like was just minding my own business in the elevator and I held the door for this guy. He was like six fucking five. Well, six eleven. That's Miles Turner. He's yeah, he's he's like super duper tall, like nearly hitting the ceiling and <laughs> nearly around our age. <laughs> and he just like kind of rode together in silence. <laughs> And then I had to go look him up and I was like, oh, it's the new recruit for the Pacers. <laughs> it's just like the idea of just being like silent in a little elevator with someone so massive. <laughs> You're like, what? Miles Turner. Well, yeah, so Miles the Turner. thing about Miles Turner is that part of our season ticket thing is that we also get a Pacers experience with one of the players and the player we got is Miles Turner. Hmm. He's so, only like a year older than me. So whatever, one of the games that we go to, we'll get to actually have a experience. I don't know what that means, but probably like that means he'll shake your hand, go, Hey, thank you for coming out. And then grab some more hors d'oeuvres and leave. Yeah. Yeah, probably. We, we um, like, you know, I've gone to the, um, the NFL scouting combine several times and generally we get to meet a couple of NFL players with that. They just kind of come in, you know, kind of walk through, shake people's hands and, have you ever met Peyton Manning? No, never met Peyton. He never came to that. Um, generally, it would be like, you know, they, they wouldn't be like the biggest star players on the Colts. They'd be like, you know, um, other guys, um, you know, just regular, you know, regular players, <laughs> you know. Um, and um, but, you know, uh, that would be cool to meet Peyton, you know. Yeah, never, I never made. Um, I haven't met a lot of Colts, honestly. Um, so that would be fun. I mean, uh, one of the ones we met. I, I remember we we met Chad Bradsky, who was a, mm-hmm. a player for the Colts for a while. Um, we met uh, uh, Gary Brackett, who was actually kind of a. He was a he was you know like a celebrity in in indie, but not actually like a star NFL player. If that makes sense, because <laughs> um, he was our middle linebacker on the Super Bowl team. Hmm. Um, so it I was remember Gary Brackett. I do remember that name. Yeah, really nice guy. Like everybody loves him, and uh, so yeah. So I um, have a related story, and I guess like we'll see if this becomes anything at all, but I have a date tomorrow with this guy. His name's Lewis. I guess that doesn't matter. Um, but he is an actor 
And the reason this is relevant is that um, I matched with him like on a dating app and <laughs> didn't realize until we had already talked for a little bit that he is on every single bus stop around my house because he's like the lead in a TV series that's releasing in the UK. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah. And so I like followed him on Instagram. I was like, oh, there's a lot of posts about, and then I was like, wait a minute. And then like, I was at the bus stop like that afternoon and I looked at the bus stop. And I went, hmm. there's Lewis. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's see how yeah. this date goes. I can't wait to follow this one up. Yeah, seriously. So it was it was just one of those things like he seems perfectly nice or whatever, but it's like one of those things where I was just like, this is a real testament to my lack of starstruckness. Like I know that some people are like, ooh, an actor, but I think that my brain just goes, huh. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, I'm 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 kind of that way. There's only been like, you know, I've met a lot of celebrities in music. And yeah, there's only really been one that ever freaked me out. And that was Willie Nelson, but you know, yeah, that's everybody would be freaked out if they met Willie Nelson, right? I think. Well, yes, I, I, mean, I, I don't know. I don't think that I would be weird around Willie. I mean, Willie is like the biggest of stars. You know what I mean? It's not. It, that's not like you know. There's an A list, and then there's like an A plus list where like it doesn't matter who it is on the planet. If you tell them you met Willie Nelson, they're like, oh, I know who that is. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, there's no one that's going to be like, I don't know who Willie Nelson. is. I think that, like, <laughs> you know. my level of starstruck directly correlates to how much I feel like their opinion is going to matter, right? Like, in my life. like. Oh, well, I don't, you know, I wasn't concerned with Willie's opinion mattering, like, to my job or my well-being, but I wanted Willie to like me. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Like, I, I feel mean, like... You know? I would probably have a hard time holding a normal conversation with like Lady Gaga, but it's because like I have no idea where to even begin. <laughs> I would be like, I don't know <laughs> what this is. It would be an awkward conversation actually if I started talking to Lady Gaga because I would have to like tell her that I like cover her songs, which is yeah. you know like I'm I mean, some people like the way that I sing shallow, but like, you know, I obviously don't sing it like she does. Yeah. At all. Yeah. You know? No, I'm, I sing the Bradley Cooper parts similar to him, but, you know. Well, in fairness, Bradley Cooper never claimed to be a musical talent at the same level as Lady Gaga. So, I mean, or if he did, that was silly of him. But it's silly of many people to try and claim they're at the level of Lady Gaga because, you know, Lady Gaga is an interesting one to me because when I first heard her music, I didn't I didn't think ever, oh, my God, she's such an amazing singer because everything was drowned out in some kind of electronic voice box, whatever. And then she sang like America the Beautiful at the start of the Super Bowl. And I was just like, oh, my God, she's like one of the best singers on the planet. Like. Why does she cover it up? My second thought was, why does she cover it up with EDM? Because she's just an amazing singer. Like, in fairness, a lot of that was like early 2000s. That's how I feel about Kesha to a certain degree, too. Like, when I found out Kesha could actually fucking sing, I was like, oh, well, what was with TikTok? (laughs) That's weird. (laughs) And the other one that's surprising to me is um, I don't know if you've ever seen Demi Lovato 
like she, they had, um, they had a documentary on YouTube Red or whatever the fuck that I watched. And it was talking about their early career. Like they were a Disney kid, like camp rock and shit. And they like the documentary showed like the behind the scenes of their recording process. And it was like Demi Lovato was doing the vibrato. And like it literally the engineer was showing the screen as like Demi was in the booth. And it was like perfect sinusoidal waves of vibrato he was like i don't really need to auto-tune her at all and i was like what the fuck it was like she was just so she, on she it. like perfect the amount of vocal control like to keep in tempo while doing a vibrato and to be well, yeah i mean the two notes you're hitting. that's like um you know carrie ray and dion like from carrie ray and the shaky legs like yeah, when, when they sing in harmony together with vibrato, it's just sick. Like I can't even, <laughs> you know. Like I, I don't know how you. I, I was in the room with them, and they're, you know, we were when I first I filmed them, uh, and we were filming that and watching them. There were like nine musicians in the room watching them sing that, and I looked over as I was standing there with my jaw on the floor. And all of them eyes were huge, and all of us were like, "Holy cow! What are we witnessing? Yeah. Like, you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, like this is insane." And 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 coming from me, it's like I had heard, you know, when I worked in Nashville and did videos, I you know I was in the room with people singing that were amazing, you know, Martina McBride and you know mm-hmm. uh, Kathy Matea and um, you know many great artists. The one I remember the most, though, singing because we were doing her video and she would actually sing out loud as she was lip syncing. And she sang like as, you know, just belted. She didn't just like kind of sing it low as she was doing it. Um, It was uh, Pam Tillis. And Pam Tillis has like the best voice that I've that I've heard, Um, like just in person of anyone. (laughs) And it's um, I, I still think that. Uh, her and, um, and, you know, like I, every once in a while, I, I come across uh, someone who is just like, you know, you just hear an extra level of talent in their singing. Yeah. And uh, Pam Tillis was absolutely incredible. And then the other one is, um, uh, her name is escaping me, but she, uh, <laughs> there's no reason it should be. Um, she sings blue. Um, she was like 13 when she sang the song blue, like, which was like a Patsy Cline, like song. Why, why isn't it coming to me? I can't help you at all. Oh my God. This is crazy. She's a huge star. We saw her in uh, Nashville at uh, the country music um, festival. Okay. So, Graves? I don't know. No, no. She's she, from the, uh, she came in the nineties. Leanne Rhymes. Just kidding. Oh, yes. Okay. <laughs> um, but she like she sang a uh, thing at the country music festival and we she was like doing a you know it was like a um it wasn't like a full set with a band or whatever. It was like at a little um thing in the convention center where they would like interview people and they would sing like a song or two, you know? And um she was sitting there and 
she just had like an acoustic guitar player with her. And that's when I heard her sing that way. And I was just like blown away because she was just so incredible without any other help. You know what I mean? <laughs> just, you know, there's, there's no help here. There's just a guy. Singing Rob, an acoustic. Yeah. yeah. And she's just incredibly perfectly pitched and on time, you know, like, yeah. and it, it's just like another level of, you know, like, wow. Uh, you know, and everybody like, you, you know, you can hear like a hush in the room as she like hit a high note. You know what I mean? Like everybody gasping, like, oh, my God. Wow. Yeah. You know? <laughs> yeah. You know, um, and I, I I attribute it. It's the same thing that I saw. Like um, we talked about the Pacers a moment ago, but like in, in watching pro basketball. So I've watched a lot of basketball, like from all levels of basketball, and I've coached basketball, right? Mm. And uh, when I come in to a pro game, I like to watch the warmups because I can tell who's really the most talented players on the court right. really fast because they they have an extra level of ability that is readily apparent as they're playing around with the other people's with incredible abilities, right? Yeah. <laughs> you know, and... um so like I remember one time I was um I mean the Pacers like Ron Artest used to play for the Pacers and he's a very controversial player. He's also one of the most talented players that I've ever seen. Like in terms of how he handles the ball and how he moves on the court and like most of that talent you could see in a warm up. Like during the like you know they're they're going up there to shoot layups or whatever. It's just like a you know, there's something about it, like an extra level of amazing as he goes up, <laughs> you know, just so much flow and like, you know, knows exactly where his body needs to go and the control, you know, he may not have always been the greatest player because of the space between his ears, but his talent level is just off the chart and you could just see it like watching him move, you know, mm -hmm. and the same thing happened when I saw Larry Bird play, like Larry Bird came, you know, onto the court. Um, like I was at the 1985 NBA all-star game and I was like 13 mm -hmm. and you know, this is the all-star game of course is all of the greatest players that are playing at the time. Right. Mm -hmm. But Larry Bird and magic Johnson were the most talented players that walked onto the court, even though Michael Jordan came walking out there. <laughs> like <laughs> you could, you could see them like with such like, just a little something extra, you know, like those three guys, like all these other guys are great. They're like the best players in the world. And these guys are just a little bit better, yeah. <laughs> you know, just by watching them warm up and pass the ball and the practice and the warmups and like, and also the way the other players would react to them, like, you know, yeah. okay, well, he's just better than me, even though I'm on the all-star team. Yeah. <laughs> you well, know that's <laughs> like, like people talk about that that effect with Simone Biles too, where she's like, "I'm really sorry, guys. Like, it's not a matter of question. I'm the best in the world. I have like, <laughs> like, I'm not gonna stop being the like. I can't make myself worse. Like, I'm sorry. <laughs> That's just how it is. Like, <laughs> well, you know, and you can see that like when you're watching the Olympics." You know, because yeah. everything's so tight and technical, right? Like yeah. on something like gymnastics, you know who the best two are. Like every uh, the, the best three, like right after the routine's over. I mean, all, all, every yeah. time. And you can well, tell. I think the odd thing is, like, I'm not a judge and I don't know all the technicalities, but sometimes I can tell when somebody gets ripped off because it's like, 
Yeah. Okay. I'm sorry that 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 uh, that person that got fourth there kind of got hosed because they were better than the other yeah. <laughs> the other girl. You know. Yeah. <laughs> well, but you don't know exactly there's, why. There's those, there's those moments in golf too. Like I remember probably the first tournament I ever watched all the way through was the Hawaiian Open like a few years ago, mm-hmm. or maybe it was no. I think it was the Ryder Cup last year, and. It was at Whistling Straits in Wisconsin. And like when people tee up and they do the drive and you're like, oh, that's a really fucking long way. It's like almost like in the back of your head, you're like, oh, okay. And I've told you about this shot before because it still sticks in my mind. Guy hits it in the rough. It's on the fucking verge of Lake Michigan. And for those of you who haven't been on a lake that big before, it's like it's an sheer, ocean. like sheer drop off rough. And then there's like a little baby ledge and then it's all rock below him like rock and then big old lake and he instead of being like all right take a penalty stroke man like whatever he goes you know i'm taking a penalty stroke anyway my teammates got it we're doing best ball whatever fuck it he gets up into this lake again sheer cliff face his entire body he has a leg he has one leg that's at the size size of his kneecap on the other one he just pops it up with a fucking like, he chips it onto the fucking green and i remember like watching it going holy fucking shit <laughs> like it was like obviously like it was just like oh man fuck it whatever like but he did something and it was like you look at it and you're like, you're doing something ridiculous. You didn't think it was going to make it. But there's this other level there where it's like, you can tell that I'm watching a golfer who's top 100 in the world because it would be a 0% chance if it were anyone else, right? Like if it were well, any other know, handicap. Like. I think one of these things that you should do for perspective, though, is go and watch the 97 Masters with yeah. Tiger Woods. Just watch the final round of that. Yeah. And like... I think he won by like 10, 15 strokes or something, but he won by a lot because like the ridiculous amount of domination that he put on the field that day, they changed the whole course of the masters because of how much he beat everybody by. They like made the course harder. (laughs) I've seen Tiger. Yeah. Like like at St. Andrews. Right. Uh, Right. But but now, I mean, not when it's not that. (laughs) <laughs> like, like, like when he came on to the course, there was the same electricity because people remember that. Mm-hmm. that like the, I, I think it was like the 2000 US Open that he won by like 10 strokes, too. And like yeah. both of those tournaments, he was hitting these balls. It was just crazy. Like he would hit balls onto the green and you, you would think, oh, that's not going to be anywhere near the hole. And it would take some weird spin and just yeah. come rolling back toward the hole. And like. You know, and he did that on purpose, like all day long. It wasn't like <laughs> it wasn't like he got one lucky shot that rolled in the right direction. I mean, mm-hmm. he was literally hitting strokes into the green where it was like, you know, he, he knew the contour of the green before he hit an iron into it from 200 yards and how he was going to land it and make it roll toward the hole. <laughs> you know yeah. what I'm saying? Like, yeah. <laughs> that, that, that's the kind of next level it was. And it was like. You know, they literally, like, I'm not kidding. They changed the course. They made it longer. They made the T positions, the, the, the positions for the holes on the, on the greens harder because yeah. they were like, you know, it was the only way to try to make it even, 
you know, like yeah. to make it a competition because it with it a little bit easy, he was so good that they, you know, he couldn't, they had to make it harder for everyone so that it would be even more even, <laughs> you <Yeah>. know, <laughs> because he was so much better than everyone, yeah. you know? Well, and it, honestly, like that was the real moniker of like the game changing to what it is now. Like um, we have, we've had interviews with like people like Tony Jacklin and, and, Gary player before on the show. And like, they kind of talk about the game now as like, well, we wouldn't necessarily be able to compete the way people play, play golf now, because like the like distance you're expected to hit on each iron is fucking different like, than it was when I was playing back in the sixties. And the reason for that is pretty much almost entirely rooted in the fact that Tiger Woods can drive a ball farther than anyone else. And so everybody had to focus on driving further but it's also probably why Tiger Woods is like deteriorated like now. Well, you know? it is like he was in such shape that he could do that muscularly. But yeah. all of those years of swinging as hard as he possibly can on every stroke, mm -hmm. you know, the thing to me, his best championship was his last one at the Masters, like mm -hmm. two years ago when he won the Masters. To me, that was his yeah. best round of uh, winning because it was all mental. You know, he, he couldn't hit it as hard as he could before. He couldn't do those things, but like he, he out-mentaled everybody in one. <laughs> you know what I mean? Um, so yeah. I, I, I honestly think his last one was his, his greatest triumph because it was his hardest one to win. You know? Yeah. The first one that he won was yeah. not it's hard. Like a, I mean, like he literally just cries like ass. I mean, yeah. like, I'm, I'm telling you, like, uh, you would love to watch like the back nine on Sunday of the first of the 97 masters just to get yeah. that perspective because you, it's unbelievable how much better he was than everybody. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it, it, the other players were just like aghast. In fact, they were intimidated to play against him for years. Well, they tried to like, you know, there, there's this theory of threes in golf, right? Like they think that that is what will lead the next era of people to be interested in golf. So they keep trying to basically recreate the magic of having Gary player, Arnold Palmer and, um, third guy, Jack, playing, Nicholas. Jack Nicholas. Thank you. Sorry. Brain. <laughs> Um, yeah. So the, uh, for whatever reason, I was like, Chi Chi Rodriguez. And I was like, fuck Chi Chi Rodriguez. That's not who I mean. <laughs> I mean, Jack Nicholas. Yeah. So when those three were in their prime, basically there was like this mania around golf that like the PGA has been chasing ever since. And with Tiger Woods, they keep trying to basically make it like, Oh, Tiger versus Phil versus Rory. And then they, like, they've been trying to like replace names, they did a series called the match for a while last year. The big one was like Bryson DeChambeau versus, um, Oh, what's that fucking guy's name? Generic white guy. Uh, they all look the same. <sighs> I don't know. I Brooks Kopka. Like, it was Bryson DeChambeau versus Brooks Kopka. And like, basically Brooks, it like demolished Bryson DeChambeau in the first like three holes. And there it was only a nine hole round in Las Ooh. Vegas. And they were like, this so is pretty over much over. over. <laughs> yeah. yeah oh, like, yeah. this is going to be bad. Like, nobody cares. So, like, yeah, it's kind of, it's like one of those things where it's hard to bottle lightning, you know? Um, well, you know, bottling lightning, we were talking about music and, like, that kind of thing. And it kind of leads us to the, to the Gilmore Girls because, like, the start of our episodes, uh, 
is that Lorelai's hiding Barry Manilow from <laughs> yep. Barry Manilow CD from uh, from Rory. <laughs> and, it was good at the time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and, uh, but like uh, the the funny thing to me, like Barry Manilow is actually an incredible talent, and they kind of she kind of alludes to that, right? Because mm-hmm. the the thing that was also extremely talented about Barry Manilow is he wrote a whole bunch of commercial jingles. Like, not just like, I mean, he had some popular songs and then don't get me wrong, but he wrote a whole bunch of commercial jingles that like, you know, you don't even realize are like things that are stuck in everyone's head <laughs> because he was a very catchy writer. Like he wrote, you know, hooky, catchy stuff, which is also mm-hmm. why, you know, he has like a, a following of hatred, right? <laughs> yeah. You know, like a backlash of hatred because people can't get him out of their head when it, when it sticks there. Yeah. <laughs> well, and it's, it's like an ear, when you write nothing but earworms, but there's, <laughs> so I just was at, I was at Barra's market, which is this flea market in Glasgow. And I was buying just an entire bar cart worth of glassware from this guy who was smoking a cigarette indoors. And that's pretty much all you need to know. Okay. Um, <laughs> yeah. So, so I'm in a flea market. I'm buying a metric fuckload of glassware for five bucks. And the guy who's selling it to me is smoking a cigarette inside. And he's singing along to Kate Bush running up the hill. Okay. <laughs> like, like I hear him behind me in his like Scottish accent going, running up that room, running up that hill. <laughs> <laughs> That's an earworm, baby. Like, you know, a song is good when everybody, I mean, everybody is singing it. But so. <laughs> shit catchy. So, so um, then I, I think um, the, um, the, 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 the first one here, like, we're uh, kind of tuned in. They like tune in on Rory and how she has her routine, right? And I think that the, yeah. the next few episodes, there's a little bit about Rory's routine in each one of them, right? And yeah, because they're uh, building up to yeah. yeah. So like her routine's going on. They're building up to disruption. <laughs> yeah, and she um, she the the guidance counselor interrupts her <laughs> her lunch music, you know, and um, that like the most disrespectful shit i've ever seen i I like (laughs) right i was like so she needs to be friend you're telling her she needs to make more friends what like really you know yeah um like basically it's like they tell they walk up to her the school administration thinks that she's not involved enough like she's not a social person because she's reading in her free time she's sitting alone at lunch she's like got headphones on um she's got like the loner face on uh and she says well i've been doing extracurriculars i've been participating in group projects i don't know what more you want from me i don't necessarily get along with my peers here because there's a cultural social economic divide going on and they say we don't care you go make some friends and Lorelai comes in and she goes, oh, um, did you yell at my child for something stupid? Why? And they were like, you're also not involved. And so they both got yeah, I like how he pulls out a file and Lorelai looks at the file. And she's like, it's kind of thin. And he's like, very thin. And she's like, 
Well, isn't that a good thing? Isn't that good? <laughs> <laughs> not in the case of the parents, it's not. Yeah. <laughs> Which I like that these two have completely different outcomes with their interactions, right? Because the the lesson really is that like even though Rory was the one who was called out for it in the start, Lorelai is really also the primary problem when it comes to people not fitting in, in the world of socialite, because she can, she just doesn't want to. Right. So (laughs) while Rory is getting dragged into the high school sorority for some reason, um, that has formed at Chilton, the puffs, right. She's being inaugurated into the puffs. Paris is trying to use Rory to get into the puffs as well. Um, Well, And I think the thing that's about it, that you're right. It's like, so, like, Lorelai actually went through all that as one of the Puffs, right? Yeah. Like, and she, yeah. Like, she may not have actually been in the Puffs, but she was one of those people, right? She grew up in yeah. that. She came through. And she grew to hate all of that stuff because of the way those people are so, like, underhanded and bitchy, right? Yeah. And yeah. and, and that, that made her want to just reject the whole situation, right? Mm-hmm. The thing is, she can actually get along with them because, well, she is one of them. Yeah. <laughs> at, the, at the core right and the thing is like she's you know she's a good person she likes doing she's really loyal to her friends and all of that stuff yeah whatever <laughs> she's kind of bitchy <laughs> like, like she's a yeah. little sassy she okay? can totally do all of that like she has yeah. no problem with it right yeah oh, no problem at all so, <laughs> so rory's dealing with the puffs and the puffs are quintessential teenage bitches like can we <laughs> agree that the puffs are bitches like <laughs> and they're and what's funny is they're they're psyching paris out of the group because yeah. she wants to be in not yeah. like even though they know she should be in because she's one of them and she's a legacy and all of that stuff she's yeah. like she wants it too badly so they're keeping her out just to be little bitches Right. She's just Paris doesn't realize she's failing the vibe check, right? Like she just doesn't she's like standing behind them looming at all times, like doing homework. (laughs) Right. And and Rory tricks them into getting her by telling him that Paris is gonna join another group, which is like Rory is like way smarter than all of them, right? (laughs) (laughs) So she just totally outsmarts them and gets Paris into the group. Well, and I love the way that Rory says it because she says it sarcastically, right? Like, <laughs> but they don't catch that at all. They they completely gloss over that she is fucking with them. Like, <laughs> right. I don't know. I've heard she's got another offer. <laughs> <laughs> what group? Some group. I don't. <laughs> and then, um, then so they're running the like. Um, the mother daughter like team, they have to be the, mo- the, the well. So Lorelai's got to run a booster club event. It's a fashion show, yeah. and um, I love that Luke is uh, you know called in to fix the thing because the guy that's supposed to be doing it's worthless, right? Yeah. And Luke fixes it. it are you going to stick around? Yeah, I'm going to stick around. It's like, of course he's going to stick around. He's going to miss this. <laughs> <laughs> about Lorelai and the boosters is she comes in late for the meeting and she's listening and she's being helpful and attentive and stuff but you can tell from the second that this like president of the booster club introduces herself and the other women that Lorelai is going to get along very well with her because she's being snarky the entire time she's like (laughs) 
<laughs> being quippy and like intelligent. And that's like, those are traits that Lorelai actually really like appreciates about. That's why she loves people. Michelle. Yeah. That's why she loves Michelle. Like she loves a bitch. Like, <laughs> like, because there are two types of bitches. There are the types of bitches who are just being bitches to be bitches. Right. Like they're like not good people. They just like being like mean and quote unquote powerful. But then there's like this kind of like snarky attitude where it's like, yeah, I mean, you are deservedly making fun of people because sometimes people deserve to be made fun of. Like, and that's kind of what the president of the booster club is doing. Like she like makes a point of making fun of this airheaded girl because um, the, the whole plot line of this like airhead in the corner is that she is only there because her stepkids go to Chilton, but she can't remember any of their fucking names. And they've been <laughs> married for what, four or five years. Like, right. like you can't remember their names and you've been living with them for years. Like that's insane. <laughs> like, like, like you deserve to be made fun of for that. That's. Yeah. Well, I, I love that, uh, you know, uh, she drags Emily into it because Emily was chastising her for not being more of a part of the booster club. Right. So yeah. she makes her come and do it. And that part was great and all of that. And then I love the aftermath where they're telling her how well it went and they're excited. You've thought of everything. You even hired an actor to be a rude Frenchman. <laughs> yeah, that was hilarious. <laughs> but then uh, Lorelai gets home and tells uh, Rory, hey, um, I would make sure that I'm dressed nicely and everything before bed. Why? Because mm -hmm. <laughs> you're getting kidnapped by the puffs. <laughs> All right. You know, and then uh, and the, it's under the guise that they're going to just go to breakfast in their pajamas, right? Right. Like, and then oh. they, they come to get Rory, and Paris has already been kidnapped, and she's got like her pimple medicine all over her face, and she's like, "This her is the way you look right. when you get up. Life is not fair." <laughs> yeah. <laughs> she doesn't yeah and Rory's doesn't like know. I can't like do this right now we're not exactly friends friends and <laughs> <laughs> I can't tell you that I was already well aware of what was happening right yeah and then of course they get caught by the headmaster and like my favorite scene in it is this where um where Rory like you know takes it back at the headmaster like, mm -hmm. look, you chastised me for not having friends. And I go and make these stupid friends that I didn't even need to make because I have plenty of friends back in Stars Hollow that you don't see, so they must not exist. And, <laughs> you know. <laughs> yeah. And then the headmaster's like, we're going to talk about this in the morning because I'm realizing maybe I'm an asshole. Um... <laughs> right. You told her to do this, and she got dragged into breaking in, not like she wanted to break into the headmaster's office, you know. Yeah. And now I'm in trouble for it. That's ridiculous. You know? Yeah. Well, and I love that. Like <laughs> Lorelai's like, what happened? She goes, I got in trouble for what? For ringing a bell. Oh, you rang a bell. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, I'm sorry. Was it a big bell? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> for nothing. Oh, forgive me. You're right. Sorry. You stupid, stupid girl. How dare you ring bells? Didn't you know that we already told you to stop that? <laughs> <laughs> and then of course she goes and uh tells uh luke that she saw her saw him with one of the moms and you know she he shouldn't date her and all of that and has basically this huge je jealous rant right yeah um, well she says hey this would be really kind of awkward for me if you started dating someone who's like a parent at my child's school and then luke 
has a rant back and says, you get, you can't tell me who to date. Right. Yeah. Which is a little bit like, it's almost entirely fueled by the fact that Luke is like, I want to date you. Oh, you're not going to date me. And then you're going to tell me who I can and can't date. If you want to tell me who to date, then maybe you should be dating me. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Like, and of course she's just like, you know, all jealous and doesn't want to say it. Yeah. So then uh, the ins and outs of ins, we go on and we're like, um, <laughs> I, I love the opening line of this. I like wrote it down because it's funny. The, uh, <laughs> the, um, they're, they're at Emily's and she says, we've got a new cook. She's from one of those little countries next to Mexico. <laughs> like that's all she knows about her. She's from one of those little countries next to Mexico. And <laughs> that's how how many she goes through and how inconsiderate she is of actually knowing them because she knows she's going to fire them in like two weeks, you know? And uh, <laughs> so uh, food's really great tonight, <laughs> you know? <laughs> Don't get used to it, you know? Um, and then they she wants to have uh, Rory sit for a painting and uh Lorelai is like, you know, sh- shut up, don't talk about, you know, trying to get her to not get and Lorelai's like, uh, the, you know, they, they didn't get her painting because the three painters all quit. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and I love it when they're actually painting her later that she calls Lorelai, Lorelai, she won't sit still. And she's got her like arm up above her head. And Lorelai says, Lorelai's like, some- is it? some ridiculous pose where she can't even hold herself still you know she has both of her hands above her head and emily goes well she only has the one hand above her head (laughs) (laughs) yeah (laughs) so oh i'm sure you would just have her sitting there reading a book well actually that's a great idea (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and then uh, they go to try to buy the dragonfly from Fran at Weston's Bakery. And mm-hmm. Fran's like, I'm never going to sell. I'm going to own it forever. And they're like trying to ask her what happens if she dies, but they can't like really ask her yeah. what happens when she dies. What happens yeah. if you went on a, a vacation? You know? And, and then she's like, I don't really like vacations. <laughs> yeah. What I loved is that the next day in the inn, like after having this back and forth it, 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 with Fran, Sookie goes, I have to tell you about this dream I had. We were all old. You, me, Rory, all of us, old, gray hair. And then Fran came in and she looked exactly the same. She's never going to (laughs) die. And Rory had to be like, we love Fran. We don't want Fran to die. (laughs) (laughs) So... Um, so a funny thing is that they keep filtering in this because really they're they're working on the whole Jess side story that's going to become a main story later, but they keep digging him through, right? And I love his prank on Taylor. It's hilarious they, how he put up the crime scene tape and, and painted an outline of the body on the pavement in front of the store. And they aren't opening the store. And they've got the police there. They're like, they're, Taylor, there's no report of anything. <laughs> Everybody in town is... The fact that a police officer showed up 
and was like, we're having a few officers take a head count of the entire town. And then it gets done before noon. <laughs> like, like they had to, they, they checked every single, they were able to make direct account of everyone in town within like a few hours. Funny is that like, Rory's standing there looking over at Jess, knowing that he's guilty, like from the moment, like from yeah. Jump Street, right? And it takes the whole town like a day to figure it out, right? Like, <laughs> like they have to. <laughs> like, <laughs> it takes them forever, you know? Yeah. Well, and the, like, the, the real matter of it is that they do not take it well. Right, like because then yeah, they decide to hold the town meeting early so that Luke won't Luke be there yet. Present, and they yeah. try and like basically discuss whether or not like what to do about the Jess situation is how they phrased it. <laughs> and then Lorelai stands up for Luke and basically well, shoots uh, out the town for being. This is this rude. is actually before she stands up though. Like they start listing his crimes, like and they're jumping around. Each one of them saying something that he did, and she yeah. says, "I heard he controls the weather and wrote the screenplay for Glitter." <laughs> I had to stop it because I lost it and about fell out of the chair. <laughs> and wrote the screenplay for Glitter. Both of those side by side. I heard he controls the weather. And then also, I heard he wrote the screenplay for Glitter. Like the same. Same person. <laughs> like in the writer's room when that got written, there had to be a roar of laughter, right? Yeah. Like I, I can't even believe she got through saying it with a straight face. <laughs> <laughs> she said it's a cavalier. Yes. She says it's so matter of fact and on the on the spot. It's great. <laughs> so yeah, Luke Luke is understandably fuming pissed, right? Because the town is being horrible to him. <laughs> And Lorelai stands up for him, and the town is like, oh, yeah, we're being horrible. And then Luke goes back to the diner. He decides to not stay open late in case anyone was hungry after the meeting. And he doesn't mention a word of it to Jess. And then the next day, when Rory is standing outside of the Taylor's Dozie's Market, waiting for Dean to pick up a paycheck, I think was the excuse. He comes up and he's having a back and forth with her and she's like, you, I'm kind of mad with you, basically. And he's like, well, what did I do? And she like points to the outline on the ground that's been half scrubbed off. I don't know what kind of fucking chalk he used, but God damn it. Apparently it was like industrial grade because it's like still paint. there. Yeah. Like clearly has been scrubbed at, but so he like, he's huh. like, I don't like, I don't understand what the big deal is. And Rory finally says what we all have been trying to articulate, but nobody has like the capacity for saying properly, which is like, it doesn't matter that it was a joke. It doesn't matter that it was harmless. It doesn't matter that like people are overreacting. What matters is that Luke is being good to you and he's taking all of the heat for you being an asshole. Mm. Like that's (laughs) it. Like, like the real problem is that Luke is doing so much for you and you don't, care like maybe yeah. you should try to actually give a shit about the person who cares about you yeah and 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 you know and and he's taking all of the heat for you and standing up for you when you're not there like every yeah. time like by default yeah. he's standing up for you you know yeah. 
And, and it's um, not even about the fact that he thinks that what you're doing is wrong or rude. Like he doesn't care that it's wrong or rude so much as he cares that you're not going to be getting the flack for it. Right. Like, the thing is Luke would actually probably think the prank was funny. Yeah. <laughs> you know, Definitely would. <laughs> yeah. and then, and then, you know, he says to uh, Rory, did you at least think it was funny? And she's like, she starts to smile and says, that's beside the point. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then he fixes well, the toaster for Luke, which was cool. Right. D- he won't yeah, admit it. Dean comes out and Rory, like, you, you know, he just goes boyfriend and Rory goes, of course. And she says it in a way that's like, I wish you didn't ask, you know? Yeah. She's like, so then there's Mia who shows up and uh, Lorelai uh, freaks out about telling her um, about yeah. the inn. But when she tells her, Mia's like, well, cool, I'll just sell the inn. Yeah. <laughs> you know? And then Which makes Lorelai freak the fuck out. Yeah. Because yeah. she has commitment issues in every way. <laughs> and she yells at Suki, which was not cool. Um, and then has trouble... Uh, even recognizing how much of it is her fault until she talks to her mom, you know? Yeah. And, 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 and she, and then Emily comes and meets Mia. And I mm-hmm. love that scene because Mia's like, from my perspective, I thought you'd want someone to make your kids feel safe. And she said, I thought you'd, I, I had actually wanted someone who would just send them home, you know? Yeah. And, and then, uh, then Emily turns back and asks for pictures and it's like, okay, they've they've found their piece. Yeah. Well, <laughs> you know? it was like Emily just needed to say what needed said, right? Like, yeah. And and it's not the end of that by any means. Like, it's it's very much kind of put as like, hey, I'm not gonna like you right now, and you know why. <laughs> and like, well, and and I, and, uh, and I think that like you know I I understand Emily's point actually, and it's yeah. that. Like she didn't think there there wasn't any real reason for Lorelai to run off that was physically harmful or something like that, that she should have been looking for a shelter and need a safe place to stay. It was all a mental issue and like no one wanted to work it out. So she needed to be forced to send it back. Like that's what Emily always felt. But what Emily doesn't realize is that that wouldn't have worked anyway. Yeah. Well, Well, and it's, it's one of those things where I like, I doubt seriously that Emily truly doesn't understand that because she did the same thing with Rory. When Rory wanted to not be home, she did the same fucking thing. Yep. So, yeah. So in the next one, we got runaway little boy. Um, and uh, Suki and Rory are in the kitchen because a present came for Lorelai and Max late, an ice cream maker. Yeah. And they can't find who it was from. And I love that Lorelai's calling everybody in her phone book that she's never talked to, like uncles, yeah. aunts. <laughs> well, and she's basically, like, she just is weirded out by, like, seeing this, like, kind of remnant. Well, and then, like, the thought of keeping it is, like, well, you know, somebody sent this, and they think we're married. I I think we should let them know that we're not. (laughs) You know what I mean? Yeah. (laughs) Like, at the very least, right? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Um, And then, of course, we have, you know, because we're talking, we're really, we're dealing with Lorelai, Max, and, you know, the fallout of that, but we're also at the same time dealing with the fallout of Tristan and Rory and Dean, right? <laughs> yeah. 
And yeah. because because we've got the the play going on that you know they got to be in together, and we're gonna like we're gonna shut off Tristan the same way we shut off Max really yeah. <laughs> at this point, right? <laughs> yeah. Which is he's just gonna kind of go away because that's you know uh, it's run its course or whatever. But they found a way, right? Yeah. And um, L- Lorelai um, like tells her not to tell Dean that. But- her and Tristan kiss. Well, the right. impetus to this is that they are Romeo and Juliet in a school performance, right? right. Like so, for a school so, assignment, they are playing Romeo and Juliet in the final scene where there is a kiss, right? And yeah. they're through obviously a cascade of circumstances rehearsing in Miss Patty's place in Stars Hollow. And Rory, overcome with guilt, thinks that she needs to tell Dean that she kissed Tristan when they were broke up when they were broken up <laughs> right and Lorelai's like don't don't do that you want to stay with Dean you want Dean to not feel hurt okay are you are you telling Dean this because you think that it is a thing he needs to know or is it because you feel guilty and you don't want to feel guilty anymore she was like I feel guilty <laughs> it's like yeah so don't tell Dean you'll just hurt him it will be <laughs> Right. So, yeah, that was an interesting piece of motherly advice, to be honest. Um, well, I don't I know mean, that I would have given the same advice. I, I, I think the thing is that there's this thing in the back of Lorelai's head that goes, um, if I tell her to tell Dean, they're going to break up now. And yeah. then they're just going to get back together again. And then we're going to do this again. And we're going to do this over and over again. And the thing is, there's no reason for them to break up right now because they're going to eventually break up anyway. Because in my mind, like at the same as in Richards, which he can't give up on, and we're going to talk about that in a minute. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, Dean isn't going to survive her going to college. <laughs> yeah, you know, like there's and he isn't. no way. <laughs> yeah, and yeah. he isn't. Yeah, he, he, he isn't. We we know he's not. There's just no way. Could ha- I mean, unless you know, he changes everything about himself. Yeah, which um, he has no intention of doing. So right. Um, so, um, then I love that Lorelai has this casual date and it shows up at Luke's cause that was just comedy. You know, yeah. the kid like looked a lot older when he was in class, but then well, he like dressed in his normal that. clothes. <laughs> I just loved that how proud Lorelai was because Suki was kind of being like, you need to get back out there. Like this is, it's been a long time. Like you need to, you need to get back into dating even casually. She goes on this date. And then she comes into Luke's the next day. And she's like, I am a casual dater now. <laughs> <laughs> like, look out, world. Everything I'm doing is casual. <laughs> and speaking as someone who does casually date, bitch, no, you are not. <laughs> no. <laughs> every time you go on a date, everyone in town knows about it. Like, everyone. <laughs> I love when, though, that he comes into the, the loops and Roy's sitting there and has to get introduced. And she's like losing it because he's so young, right? Yeah. He's like he's 23, probably, right? Yeah. He's like nine years younger than her. He's like in between Rory and uh, Lorelai's age enough that it wouldn't be that weird if Rory was dating him. <laughs> you yeah. know what I mean? Like, and she's like, I've always wanted a younger brother. <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> you well know. the problem 
is that Luke sees this, right? And then oh, Luke gets starts mad. being kind of an asshole about it. Yeah. And the reason it, and it, the reason is explained by Suki. Suki is like, listen, you really don't get it. Let me lay it out for you. <laughs> he has seen you for years dating and not dating and then almost getting married and then breaking off the engagement. And now he sees this kid walk into his store and she, he just can't help himself but think, God, will she just date anyone else in the world but me? <laughs> yep. Yeah. <laughs> That's exactly what it was. Yes. Thank you. Yeah. So, you know, th- then we have to pull back into Romeo and Juliet where Tristan gets pulled from school for, you know, being a, a criminal and because he's going to get sent off to military school. Paris has to play Romeo, which is hilarious. <laughs> yeah. But right. the important part of that scene, I think, is that moment where Rory is saying goodbye to Tristan. Uh-huh. And she like lingers a little bit too much and too friendly because there is part of her that's like, oh, man, that was a thing. Like, And there's part of this kid that I could actually like, but he he keeps getting in his own way. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. like, And it, it's like a what could have been kind of moment, right? Like she, yeah. she yeah. likes him when he's not being a total douche. Yeah. And he's just mostly a douche. Um, And so I think it's like, it's like one of those things where it's the first time she truly like lets herself on her face acknowledge that like the reason this is a whole dramatic thing is because it's not one sided. Right. (laughs) Right. If it were in one sided, this would be not a non issue, but it's not. And Dean sees it and like, doesn't put words to it, doesn't acknowledge that he saw it, but he like, it's very clear that he 100% understands like, mm, my girlfriend doesn't just have eyes for me. Like, like, like I don't right. have this in the bag, right? Like <laughs> there's something about this that is not the end all be all. Well, but Dean's also learning so much about like her as he goes along he's trying to like navigate it and and he's fighting the tide all the time right (laughs) well because she's learning about herself too she's 16 right and he's he's 16 so like she doesn't know (laughs) like she couldn't tell him if she did like right yeah so so then um i love the conversation that luke and lorelei have at the end Mm-hmm. Uh, because she's like trying to find a way to fix it. And, you know, she tells him like a really serious moment. She's like, look, I'm terrible at dating. And uh, the, uh, there's these people that come in and out of my life. And he's like, she's like, but there are certain people that are in my life forever. And she says that he's one of them. Yeah. That totally changes him. Like, he's like, okay, even if I'm not dating her, she yeah. thinks I'm someone that's important enough to be in her life forever. And that's yeah. a huge deal. You know what I mean? Like, and and that that makes him just instantly change, like, and pep up, right? Yeah. Because he well, feels like, I've got a shot. I just need to hang this out now because well, I'm going to be in her life forever. Then, <laughs> you it, know. It's, it's an explanation, right? Like, she's basically saying, she's like, listen, man, I don't, like, you matter more to me than a date would, right? <laughs> right. Yeah. And I, yeah. And, and I like it because I've had conversations with friends like that, right? I, you know, I've had conversations about friends of mine with other people like that, where it's like, 
oh, why aren't you dating Ross? Why aren't you dating Harrison? It's like, because those people are way more important to me than a man ever has been. <laughs> like, like any relationship I've ever been, it doesn't touch my friendship with them. And I wouldn't want to belittle our friendship like that. <laughs> like, right. Like, yeah. Like it's, we already it, know that it's just friends here and that's the way it's yeah. going to be. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Like um, the, the thing that we have is actually like, like it's silly in some ways to assume that just because something is romantic, it is more important, you know? Yes. So that like that, that to me, is like a really important note that this episode ends on just in general to, to even acknowledge and say that like there are certain things that are just more important than romance. And one of them is the bond that we have as humans. Like so later on we realize that, Oh, we can do that with romance as well. But like right now they're not in the right place to dance that line without destroying everything. So. So I love how they take in this, you know, they, they do a lot of this. We go from a really serious moment into a, in a very stressful episode with a lot of, you know, important things to one that while it has important things mixed in, it is absolutely a farce and it's hilarious. Yeah. <laughs> like the Bracebridge dinner episode is funny so as silly. hell. So silly. Like everything's funny. Like we start off so and we're snowman building. And that dude is over there and she's like, he's power buffing. Yeah. Do you remember the, uh, <laughs> the magical dinner that our high school had? Yes. I, this, this, that's what I, that's, I wrote it in here somewhere in my notes. I'm like, this feels like the magical dinner. That's like, exactly what the bridge was. And, and I was like, and, and they're us hosting putting... a magical dinner. Like, like right. it's, it's food, it's music, <laughs> it's fun. And the, it's, it's this goofy play that's like set in some other time period, sort of. And like, I love that, like they, you know, when, when we, we, we watched it and you were in it and it was hilarious. Like when you were in the magical dinner, like the first one that we, that, that I went to was your freshman year. And I didn't know you were in it. Cause you were like, you told me you were in it, but I thought you had like, you were in the choir. So you were singing. I didn't know you were one of the lead characters and I was looking for you in the program of choir people. And I couldn't find you anywhere. And then Sarah's like, no, no, she's over here. She's gossage the goose seller i'm like what she's got a real role how did how did she not tell us this i did <laughs> no you did not i we did i no said clue. i have rehearsals for this madrigal dinner yeah but you didn't tell us that you were this like one of the lead characters you just said you were in it and i mean i knew everybody was in it like that was in the choir so it wasn't shocking to me <laughs> what's we weird about there. that show and i directed it like i think my junior and senior year <laughs> right what was weird about that show was that it was better attended than most of the plays through the years <laughs> yeah but it was not respected in the theater department at all like at all like like planning rehearsals was a pain in the ass because the cast was all theater people and all of the theater people would be like blowing it off and you're like bro this is more eyes on your acting chops than you're gonna get all year <laughs> like, also, like, I like distinctly it was kind of hilarious in a brace bridge dinner kind of way like one of the years i think it was my senior year i was the director i was driving to the um to the dinner on the saturday 
And my cast, I almost had to replace one of my casts, like with an understudy, basically, because they had gotten drunk the night before and were horribly fucking hungover. And they were like, it's okay, I'll just puke between my lines. <laughs> that's 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 stories of acting right there. That's the real stuff. Yeah, it's the closest <sighs> to New York I will ever be. <laughs> oh no, here's the funny thing about that show. Like I saw five of them, the four with you, and then one after, right? One after yeah. you graduated, we went for fun, right? And like, so every year we were out there, Sarah and I, and I think AJ was with us once. Mm-hmm. And and one time, like your mother came to one of them, or my mother came to one, or Sarah's mom or something. Mm-hmm. And we we're like, the whole show, we're like, we have these snarky comment, like commentary going on every year. And it's part of the fun of it. Yeah. Like, it's like, because... <laughs> Stuff is so like goofy and weird and you know, not time period and all that stuff. And, yeah. and so this brace bridge dinner is going on and it shows those guys, you know, it shows like Laura Lyon, Rory, like making fun of it, you know. And, mm-hmm. and then Paris says to Lorelei, uh, you know, those weren't authentic, whatever, because those weren't invented until DuPont did it in the 20s or what mm-hmm. it's like <laughs> and she says. Thanks for the tips. We'll we'll think about that next time or something. Mm-hmm. And it's like, you know, like, <laughs> these are the comments that we had going on in the audience, watching the same mm-hmm. kind of, you know, scrap, you know, scrap together show with whatever props we can to make it set in, you know, the Squire times or whatever, <laughs> the, sure. the 19th century or whatever. So, um, as far as the show goes, like, you know, it's going to be a funny episode when Kirk is like kind of in all of it, right? Like he's got, he's going to be a major thing in the thing. He's, yeah, he's like, like one of the major players. Well, well, yeah. So like, of course she makes Jackson, Suki makes Jackson be the squire of Bracebridge. What I love is, is he finally agrees to it. And then he goes, as long as it's not just because I fit in the costume. And then they're like quiet for a second. He's like, oh, it's just because I fit in the costume. Huh? <laughs> and then, and then they're doing the instruction thing. And Kirk is sitting there typing, like he's doing a, a transcript. Right. Mm-hmm. And he says, <laughs> he says, you're not you're not treating us all the same and, and she says i am too and she says <laughs> she says the jackson he says the jackson she's called you peaches three times you can check the transcript yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he's typing every single thing she says <laughs> and i love that like the original plan was for this bracebridge society or whatever to come there and have their dinner and they mm-hmm. got canceled because they got snowed into chicago and so they invite the whole town, right? Yeah. And, and they have like a sleepover. And and, and since everything. Emily and Richard yeah. weren't having a Christmas travel because of his work, they invite them to come, you know, because Rory feels bad and wants them to come, not because, well, and because, because Lorelai was going to come. Like, huh? Richard's been rude, like rude. Oh, yeah, he's been really brooding. Yeah. A yeah. while because he's, he's worried he's being phased out of his company. Right. And then they show up to the Bracebridge dinner and Richard is being perfectly fucking polite. Actually, he's being happy. He's being yeah. like, he's like fun. weirdly jolly. <laughs> yeah. And, and so then we do sleigh rides, of course, yes. like at the thing, right? Before the real dinner that happens. Mm-hmm. We do the sleigh rides and Lorelai gets Luke to ride with her. And Richard and Emily have fun on the sleigh ride, and he says he wants to ride a roller coaster, which is completely out of character. 
Yeah. You know? And she's and just I, like, all right, well, we'll find one, I guess. Cool. And <laughs> right? Dean gets stuck with his little sister. So Rory is going to be in an empty sleigh until Jess jumps Jess at the last moment. Jumps. He like leaps, leaps into. Yeah. And um, and he actually has a serious moment with her and says that his because earlier Luke and Lorelai were talking about that Jess wasn't going home because she hadn't called. Mm-hmm. Uh, his mother hadn't called and didn't, you know, wouldn't answer Luke's calls. And Luke so. was like bragging because he was like, you know, sometimes it's all about lying strategically. And Lorelai's like, mm-hmm, you're real you. proud of yourself. He knew. <laughs> yeah. And and then so Jess is talking to Rory about it and says, my mom doesn't want me to come home. Luke said it was his idea, but he he's lying, you know, like <laughs> and uh, and also Jess starts planting seeds that Dean isn't her kind of guy. Yeah. He isn't smart enough to be with her. Like, you know, she loves books and she loves this kind of music. Does he ever listen to that? Well, well I've introduced him, you know. Well, what he what he says is almost it, it's like it's a very genuine way, right? Like right. it's not Jess's style, usually, right? Like right. he just very genuinely is asking like, what is it about that guy? Basically. Like he's trying to figure it out. He's like, you're with this guy. I don't get why you're not with me. Like, and I need you to explain it to me. And Rory doesn't really have an answer, you know, like, yeah, which is the beginnings of a problem. Like she's been with him for a long enough time that like, she should have an answer. (laughs) Yeah. And then they go by the snowman and um, just thinks they should win, but uh, because the other one's overdone. And of course that is like foreshadowing because, you know, at the end, 100% knocks over the fancy snowman. (laughs) So they win. 100%. And they kind of celebrate in the bash and the glory of it really. Yeah. Even though you can see on Rory's face, she knows that Jess did it, like, without a doubt. Right? Yeah. She's like, oh, that's a really romantic gesture, but I will not be mentioning that I know exactly what happened because... Because <laughs> he'll just get Luke into more trouble with that. But And he did it for me this time, not just for fun, right? Yeah. And, um, and then um, R- Richard lets it leak that he's retired and hadn't yeah. told anybody. Like, right after they... well. I, I do want to mention the one thing where Lorelai gets Kirk to break character. He doesn't want to break character. <laughs> and Lorelai mm-hmm. tricks him into breaking character like we used to do to the people at Connor Prairie. Yeah. You know? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I forgot we did that. <laughs> Look, remember when you and AJ went to Connor Prairie and they were all in character all day? And mm-hmm. I started trying to get them to break out of character. And you guys caught on and you were mm-hmm. like, are you trying to get them to break? <laughs> Yeah. You're a little bit appalled. <laughs> I was doing it. <laughs> yeah. Mom and I went to Connor Prairie before I left. I feel like I told you about that. We went to Connor Prairie before you before I left because I wanted to. Like I hadn't gone in years and years. And so we went on Fourth of July weekend. Uh-huh. How and it was you? very like that, where it was like Ma, like it was like a few of those actors have been around for like over a decade, right? And they're so, really good. <laughs> staying in character. <laughs> so yeah. we were in like this room and there was this older lady like working on bread or something. And uh-huh. I said to her, I was like, this is so weird. But I think I was in this room like 10 years ago, 15 years ago. And I think you taught me how to make black pepper. 
And like, like, I'm pretty sure. And she was like, really, like, she was like trying. She was like, that's such a genuine thing. And I'm going to try and like sidestep breaking character because timeline wise, that is not supposed to make sense. (laughs) But she was proud of herself because it was cool. Yeah, she was like, that is really cool, but like, can't say anything. <laughs> and so we ended up, it was like she started swapping recipes, like, oh, you can make all sorts of spices. Like, <laughs> like she just skipped on past it. Like, yeah, yeah, she was like, I mean, you're correct. Like, like that did happen, but I can't mention it right now. She's like, I'm at work. So, yeah. <laughs> and then. But, uh, Yes. Yeah. <laughs> well, and it's funny with like things like that. It's like, wow, times change. Connor Prairie stays the same. Yeah. And uh, Richard finally um, explains how, why he retired and, um, and how he did it. And the, the funny thing is like, I totally feel for him here. Like there have been many days at, at a job that I've worked where I'm like, wouldn't it be great if I had enough money that I could just retire right now? Cause there's so much stress. There's so many things that I don't like about what's going on or whatever, you know, mm-hmm. I, that hasn't really happened to me recently, but I remember it, you know, and like, you know, how like feel how he's like, I just felt free. Like the whole world had been lifted and it's like, Oh, I can totally understand that it would. Right. Mm-hmm. Like you're, you, you're, you're underneath a pile of work. You've got 18 things on top of you, you know, and you just like retire because you you can because he's he's not you know he's not financially worried about the future he's really the whole reason he wanted to hang on to the job is because he had so much pride in his work you know and the second so, that he realized that it wasn't fun anymore and it wasn't something he could have pride in anymore and it was just something that was stressing him out and he finally realized it he just found himself retiring <laughs> you know well i also there and i'm glad that Emily recognized and accepted that and that they were able to mend things by the end of the night. But I also really liked that in this episode, she went to Lorelai, right? Like she went to their room and she said, I, I can't, can't like, I can't be in that room with him. I'm, I need to like stay here because like she was being kind of like obtuse and weird about it. And Lorelai wasn't exactly comfortable with the fact that it was happening, but it was like one of those things where, like Emily was going to her daughter for support for the, like one of the first times. Right. Yeah. And I don't think that even like, like I think that Lorelai wasn't even aware that it was happening. Right. (laughs) She was like, this is weird. Like this is, I've never seen anything like this. And then the next morning she's like, well, you didn't come back to the room. Is everything all right? Right. So, you know, and I I think that the dynamic is like, you know, we we see the maturation of their relationship a little bit there. Right. And in the next one where, um, you know, where they're trying, she's trying to get a loan because her porch is rotting. Her house is full of termites. Kirk, who was hilarious in that role as well. um, You know, (laughs) he's like, "Um, let's go. I I don't feel like we should talk about this inside this porch, too. Uh, it's not structurally sound. I think we should stand out here and talk about it. <laughs> like, I want to make sure that the house is not going to fall in a direction that it'll hit me. So, like, <laughs> I mean, which, and then, you know, like later on, when Luke comes back to check it too, 
he steps out of there. He's like, yeah, it's not too bad. He's like, well, well, Kirk told me the joists were rotten and that the floor, the floor wasn't structurally sound. He's like, well, he was right about that. And then he told me that this might happen. He's like, yeah, he was right about that too. <laughs> like basically, which was just as funny as the way Kirk did it, right? Like yeah. Kirk was very dramatic and like all that. And then Luke is like, yeah, it's not so bad. You know, like, but, but truth is, yes, it's exactly that bad. Yeah. <laughs> like, I'm just being calm about it. But yes, I'm just being this, nice this to you. Is but yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, so she can't get the money through a loan because she doesn't like she's already got another loan on the house, basically. And Emily tries like the one thing that happens is Rory blabbers to Emily and Lorelai doesn't want that. So they get in a huge fight. Right. Mm-hmm. And then. um uh, Lorelai ends up, you know, Emily ske- schedules a banker meeting with her and she goes in there with Emily sitting there, makes her shut up and asks for to be treated the same way she should be. And the banker gets real serious because he's friends with Emily and he says, mm-hmm. okay, fine, we can do that. And he goes through all of her stuff and he says, yeah, so I can't do anything for you. <laughs> do you want me to treat you like everyone else? I can't do anything for you, you know? And then he's, she's like, well, do you have any answers? Well, Someone could co-sign for you, like basically, like this is what and I. Then they we look at Emily. Emily's like, <laughs> <laughs> right, you know. So, uh, and then she lets her and Lorelai, like, you know, I, I think that that all works out a little bit. Although she's going to now have all the DAR meetings at the end. <laughs> well, <laughs> yeah. it's you know? it's one of those things where it's like. Although Emily wants something out of it, the the thing that Emily is asking for is not at the same level as what she's giving. Right? (laughs) Right. What she wants, though, and everything that she's giving when she gives money, she really just wants love back. She wants her family to be around her. You know, like she wants that more than anything else. Like. And and that's the, you know, Laura, like, like, almost sees that when she says, I'm going to do the DAR meetings at the end, because it like took her a couple of days to say that, like, mm-hmm. I got to think up something or, <laughs> you know, you know what I mean? I can get something out of this because Lorelai's told me I can basically, yeah. you know, um, uh, but yeah. <laughs> on, on the other side of it is like a, a side story of this that I really love is that Rory gets her PSAT results and she basically got 10 points better in each, se- each section than Paris and won't yeah. tell Paris what her scores are. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and Paris is so bothered. And that's why Rory won't tell her, you know, well, <laughs> it's like, <laughs> they, like, in my opinion, part of like this is just it's a setup for something that we won't hear about until later that actually goes back to the sports stuff that we were talking about earlier, right? Like what we're learning very slowly through repeated examples is that Paris is fucking brilliant, right? She's ahead of everybody else in her class, but Rory is like above Paris in most things. (laughs) (laughs) and like the PSAT is one example, but we also were dealing with, okay, well, 
Rory has to be Juliet because she's the best at memorizing lines and she's way more personable as a Juliet type, right? Like Mm -hmm. every school assignment that she comes up against. And like the only reason that Paris has this impression that she might have it ahead of Rory is that Rory had to catch up when she first was in school, right? But like Rory caught up and now she's competing at the same level well, and, and like, like turning newspaper assignments really well and she's, well, she's and, and, and that's what like in the next episode right that's the thing like yeah. paris is wanting to win this award right yeah. and so she's very you know uh, trying to do whatever it takes to make this great story happen and and rory basically takes over the paper for her because she's having a a, a, a panic attack and no one wants to listen to her because she's yeah. like ripping into everybody except rory and then yeah. Rory finally goes, okay, guys, we got to get it together. You know, like, mm-hmm. it was like, okay, well, Rory's, Rory's actually leading this paper right now. She just took over. Like, Paris didn't even see it happen, right? And it's yeah. like, because they will listen to Rory, right? And yeah. they won't listen to her, <laughs> you know? Yeah. And um, and then, of, of course, you know, as we're going through it, right, you know, Richard is going to come to Stars Hollow because we get to see that he doesn't like being retired, really. You know, yeah. he doesn't know what to do with himself. And Emily's going nuts because he's like trying to follow her to her hair appointment almost and just about everything else. Yeah. You know? And so um, and then uh, so there's like two so- stories, I think, or kind of going on here simultaneously. One of them is, you know, Richard's got to find, you know, his way. Right. Mm-hmm. But the other one is we're we're working with the whole Paris and Rory dynamic. And the first part of that is that they're in the video store picking out videos which Mm -hmm. i love this because like you don't do that anymore like you know in 2022 we don't have video stores right (laughs) but this like throwback into the video store era is absolutely just brilliant first Mm -hmm. off lorelei comes up to the counter she's lost her video card right Mm -hmm. we always everybody lost their video cards no one ever had the damn membership card to get your video Mm -hmm. and they always had to look it up this is like that's why it's so funny because that was just the thing, right? <laughs> no one has the stupid card. They don't remember the card. Look me up in the computer, right? Kirk, mm-hmm. of course, does what every clerk does at every one of those places and prints you another card as if you need the goddamn card <laughs> next time. You know what I mean? <laughs> so he's messing with that, giving her crap about it. But we've made a special contract with you or whatever. And then, of course, um, Rory makes an offhanded comment to Kirk about the showgirls cover having a scantily clad woman on it and that they should probably put it on a higher shelf because the little kids, it's like at eye level, right? Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, of course, Kirk tells Taylor and it becomes like this whole thing. They segregate every movie behind the Rory curtain, right? (laughs) Every movie that might have anything offensive in it. And basically Dumbo and Bambi were all that were left out, right? Yeah. And so like Paris is looking for something seedy in stars hollow, right? Like the same day that Richard is there, like seeing the whole town in like half a day and then driving Lorelai crazy. Right. Yeah. She's like (laughs) looking for a story for this award. Yeah. (laughs) Right. And Paris comes in. Like, I love it when she comes into the diner and she starts drilling loot about truckers and prostitution. (laughs) Mm -hmm. You have a lot of truckers come in here. Well, everyone knows that the, a lot of prostitutes follow around the truckers, you know, mm-hmm. and she starts going on this thing and then Jess pops in and she says, 
where did he come from? Is there a cat house upstairs? <laughs> Jess, of course, without missing a single beat, goes, wow, I think she got you, Uncle Luke. Innocent boys like me shouldn't be raised in an atmosphere like this. <laughs> Rory has to drag her out of there. So she can't find anything and she's upset, right? And then we cut away to Richard, like going off on Lorelai about how she talks to people on the phone at work, you yeah. know? And um, so Paris sees the Rory curtain thing and decides that's the scandal that there's censorship in a small town, <laughs> right? And so they have to write the story on that. So all of that stuff, like, while funny is, um, you know, it, it's like, it's the interesting thing of Rory really kind of getting into Paris's head so much that Rory's going to be in charge of everything anyway, as you said at the start, right? <laughs> yeah. And, well, and it's just, it's one of those things where it's like, this follows them, like, to college and it life. Does. Yeah. <laughs> it's their so, dynamic from here, right? Yeah. Paris is really, really smart. One of the most brilliant people around. And Rory's just a little bit smarter. Yeah. <laughs> right. Which is just, it's, it's, it's even worse when you think about, like, her dating life. It's like, girl, Dean is a perfectly lovely guy. <laughs> you're going to have a hard time finding anyone who can keep up with you. If you're looking for someone who is as brilliant and talented and awesome as you are, like, cause you're yeah. running circles around the best of the best. Like that's a problem. <laughs> like it's going to yeah. be rough. Yeah. Well, and you know, then we, um, we get back to Lorelai and, and Richard, right. Um, and they finally get back to the house and Rory's there too. Right. And mm -hmm. Richard goes into her room and he's like looking through her books, like, mm -hmm. Oh, see what I need to fill in your collection. And she looks, Oh, I got a lot more than this. And she starts pulling out drawers and stuff. And then he starts trying to do the same thing to Rory about like, well, maybe I'll get more bookshelves and this. And she's like, I actually kind of like the way it is, you know, like, and mm -hmm. he can't find anything there until Dean shows up. Right. Yeah. And then like, this is where we the two storylines really come together, right? And, and and from the last from the last couple really episodes, it's all about the fact that we're seeing the little chicks away at Dean, right? Mm -hmm. And um, and Richard who knows it's going to end and wants it to end sooner, mm -hmm. and Lorelai who's like, let it run its course, get the fuck out of the way, yeah, <laughs> basically, stop. stop, you know, you're gonna make this last longer. <laughs> you're gonna make it worse like just stop it like you know and dean gives her a car which a like from the moment he said he was building her car you know my comments on that a little while ago right this yeah. is ridiculous like you are 16 this is this is oh, way too much you are yeah. you're over the top right but richard of course doesn't trust the car which is funny <laughs> in its own right you know, and they go off to Gypsy, who can't find any problems with the car. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I love Gypsy's like, you know, I, I think it's the first time we've seen an extended a, a real scene with Gypsy in it in this in the series, right? Where she's like more than just one word or something. And, mm -hmm. you know, she's like, you know, I've checked it. Well, can check it again? She's like, what would I check it for? It's perfectly fine. Mm -hmm. <laughs> <You know? laughs> and then she comes over with the windshield wipers acting like. And Dean's like, you tore those off, didn't you? 
yeah, but there was nothing wrong with anything. So I found something that was easy to take off or whatever. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And we'll we'll see this in the next six episodes, I'm pretty sure. (laughs) This car is going to become a problem. Letting him build a car was a problem. Accepting the car was a problem. What the car eventually happens, what what happens with the car eventually is a fucking problem. Yeah, and we'll see that soon enough, right? <sighs> yeah. <laughs> so um, Richard like, uh, and Lorelai have a discussion where Lorelai is going off about Richard disrespecting her choices of letting you know her decide if Rory gets to keep the car or not. And then he says, look, I feel like I'm obsolete, like no one needs me for anything in their life. You never invite me here. You never thought of inviting me here before. (laughs) Emily told you to invite me, right? Because I'm driving her crazy. You think I don't know I'm driving her crazy? I'm an old Mm -hmm. man who's like at the club at three in the afternoon on a Wednesday, you know, or whatever. (laughs) Right. And, uh, And he's like, you know, I'm an annoyance to my wife and a burden to my daughter. And like, I was like, Oh my God, that's awful. You know what I mean? What an awful way to feel, you know? And um, and uh, so that's that that's really, you know, a moment. I was like actually a little bit like tearing up about him, you know. I'm like he feels well, so alone. You know what I mean? <laughs> like yeah, but in fairness, he is only half right <laughs> like, <laughs> like, because he is. First of all, he is not acknowledging that her not inviting him there is not a new fucking thing. So, and the thing with his wife is like he spent years and years saying that all of the things she was doing were frivolous and stupid, and now she he wants to like shadow her while she does them. It's like Richard did not build a social life or have any sort of prior planning for his retirement, so that is probably why he has nothing to fucking do. So if you're going to retire, this is a conversation I've had with mom before where I'm like, if you're going to retire, you have to know what you want to do with the extra 40 to 50 hours a week. What do you want to do? You're going to have most of your week back. What do you want to do with it? (laughs) Yeah. So uh, I know what I would do, but in fairness, I'm young. I have a lot of things that I would want to fill that time with. Well, uh, then we end it with uh, Jess and Rory outside the video store where she's gotten Citizen of the Month. Yeah. And, um, <laughs> and <For> the curtain. <laughs> he says, I don't think it's I, I don't think all this is going to be a round log. He says to her, she's like, what did you do? He's like, let's just say that whoever reads Dumbo and Bambi are in for a surprise. <laughs> <laughs> I love Jess's pranks. Every single one of them is fun. <laughs> well. <laughs> the fact that he's realized that Taylor is the person to pull pranks on and just does mm-hmm. it constantly and without any like, I mean, the, the 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 seriously the crime scene tape with the person out front like that's just that's just special. <laughs> yeah. Well, it, <laughs> because it's because so special like, because Taylor no. would be one who would like take it so seriously, right? 
A lot yeah. of people would say, I'm tearing this shit down. Who cares what happened in front of the store? And I, when I wasn't, you know, we need to open the store. This is going to go. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like, the police didn't call me. So whatever. I'm tearing this down. Like <laughs> that's what would happen. <laughs> you know, if it was in front of Luke's, you know what Luke would do? It wouldn't even stay there. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, so anyway, that's all of it. For this week. Mm. So. Yep. I'm very excited because you're coming home to see us. Yeah, sentimental. <laughs> yeah. So. Alrighty. Well, that's it for the show this week. I love you, Bailey. Love you, too. Thank you for being a part of the Family Rabble podcast with Joe Shelton and Bailey Shelton. Join us next time for more fun episodes.